1760. A pastoral economy driven by hand is changing. Steam power, coal and iron are shaping the beginning of the modern machine. Empires are falling and rising. It's the first industrial revolution. 1871. Iron is replaced with steel. Steel builds rail lines at lower costs. Trains connect people and ideas faster than ever before. And the earliest hint of a modern production line ushers in the second industrial revolution. The third industrial revolution is the digital revolution. 1946 sees the first commercial computer, the rise of electronics, telecommunications and binary code. Amidst world wars, we advance biotechnology and space exploration. The doors to the world and the universe are opening up. The year is 2020. Threats spread in the air and through inboxes. The drive of industry and automated manufacturing is unstoppable. The fourth industrial revolution is here. Certainly an exciting time to be in manufacturing right now. Supply chains have become much more global. The best thing to do is not try and hide from it. Recognise it's there. With technology, there's nothing that can't be achieved. That's Ryan Pollitt. I'm our national leader at BDO for the manufacturing and wholesale sector. Industry 4.0 is predominantly around that digital enablement of what would have been traditionally an industrial process. And it's about automation. It's about security. It's about taking advantage of new technologies that are available like machine learning, artificial intelligence and so forth and putting that into the traditional value chain of, of producing products and taking advantage of all of those global new technologies that can increase efficiencies but also increase accuracy and consistency. And that's Kane Stavens. He's the Executive Director of Digital and Technology Advisory at BDO Australia. I spend a lot of my days helping organisations with their digital strategies, their transformation journeys, assisting people with uh, the usage and acceptance and taking advantage of enhancements in technology over, over the last few years. The year is 2020. Threats spread in the air and through inboxes. And while the global landscape for manufacturers has changed dramatically in the last 11 months, it's been changing dramatically for 260 years. The way our experts see it, the global pandemic has provided a new urgent context for challenges and opportunities presented by Industry 4.0. Challenges and opportunities that were already coming. I think we're behind, if, if I'm honest. So the time's right for Australian manufacturers to move forward. I don't think we're going to revert back to old habits. You are listening to In Business with BDO. Welcome to In Business with BDO, where we bring the experts to you to share their insights on the top issues and topics impacting organisations and finance-related issues affecting individuals in Australia today. I'm your host, Jennifer Mary, and in this episode, we're talking manufacturing. Specifically, what Industry 4.0 means for Australian manufacturers in and outside this time of global health crisis. Let's set the scene. 
There's no doubt that COVID-19 has drastically disrupted um, business supply chains. Um, However, what specific issues have you seen arise for Australian manufacturers? We saw at the start of the pandemic an insatiable demand for things like toilet paper, uh, masks and hand sanitizer. Obviously, those issues have now been resolved. But um, since then, and, and, you know, very recently, I've been talking to my clients and this is still very much an issue. There's still significant delays in terms of getting, you know, importing products in or raw materials in from overseas countries. Air freight is still very expensive at this point in time due to there being hardly any passenger aircraft uh, flying, which was about 80% or so of uh, air freight was actually on those planes. Uh, Shipping costs as well have increased considerably. So what we've really seen is a shift towards just-in-case ordering. Uh, you probably heard the phrase just-in-time ordering, which is what you know a lot of manufacturers were doing previously. It was seen as sensible to, to be relatively lean in terms of the stock that you're bringing in and to keep those levels low to avoid a, a high investment in working capital. But, you know, these days it's moved to just-in-case. You know, people are buying raw materials and components in you know far above the levels that they would normally need because they're they're aware that there's a a lag there in terms of the time it's going to take them to get them into the country we've seen a lot of changing buy buying behaviors which has created a surge in demand and forecasting errors so there's a lot of uh, shifts that we've seen in terms of household spending under these difficult economic conditions. It's created some volatility in supply chains as well. So I think at this point in time, manufacturers really need better and more accurate methods for monitoring and predicting the impact of some of these changes, which is, you know, sort of leads nicely into the topic that we've we've got today around digital transformation. As Kane knows all too well, digital transformations are essential for the survival of businesses in this pandemic landscape. But they also bring up key issues around cyber, viruses of a different nature. The cyber aspect is really quite significant. If we think this is not new to us, cybersecurity, the, um, you know, as the world has been opening up with digital transformation, uh, it brings inherent risks. But COVID really expanded that exponentially. If you think uh, there's a lot of reporting around how the cyber attacks have increased uh, at least fivefold since COVID. That's pretty shocking, really. So if you look at um, Australian businesses, particularly seen as soft targets because we're a little bit behind in our protection. And manufacturing in particular is seen as a very easy target. And in in Australia, with our ability to uh, work remotely that we enabled so quickly, we've sort of opened that to to the general market. There's some facts out there around if you think about roughly two-thirds of Australian businesses have been the target of ransomware this year since COVID. And of those, one third have actually paid the ransom. And that's at an average of over a million dollars for each of those ransoms. It's significant. And uh, right now is the time for us to focus on responding to those uh, risks that we've brought about by COVID. We will return to the growing cyber threat a little later. But for now, it's not all bad news. Countless Australian manufacturers responded to the mounting pressure of 2020 with operational agility and a resilience that allowed them to pivot effectively into a new market. 
what we saw during COVID was really, uh, you know, companies that were able to be flexible and adapt and repurpose their operations very quickly. Sometimes that meant that they could then produce something that wasn't really within their usual sphere of expertise. What we also saw was collaboration and communication being very important. A number of manufacturers during that time actually worked together to try and make sure that important parts and things that were needed for certain uh, products, you know, be it some of the, the ventilators that were actually manufactured here at short notice and are now fortunately, you know, on the Australian stockpile because we, we haven't needed them, although, you know, we, we obviously may do. Things like 3D printing factories, um, getting involved in printing PPE that are used by frontline workers. And we saw a number of bottlers and distilleries creating hand sanitizer or pharmaceutical companies also creating hand sanitizer. And one of my clients was, was actually one of those. And that didn't happen overnight, but it did happen very quickly. And it did involve a lot of manufacturers coming together in order to make sure that the various different components needed could be uh, supplied at short notice. I really like the example of uh, Medcon in, in Victoria in, in the early days. But they're the only uh, Australian manufacturer of uh, PPE uh, early days there. And they um, realized that they had an extreme increase, obviously, in in volume needs of, of their product set. And they had some old technology that uh, had been sitting around, some old manufacturing technology that was developed in Australia that, um, was capable of producing more, but they didn't know how to how to make it work because the the designs were no longer available. And they rolled in engineers from the Australian Army to um, to to retrofit it to to um, to look at exactly how it was all pulled together. They pulled the whole thing apart, put it back together, pulled the design together, and and, re- and turned that around into producing greater volumes of, of masks, which I, I thought was really quite cool. Um, that's going back some months now, but uh, but yeah, I thought that if we if we talk about the 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 need for being agile and being able to flex your your model, it's really only possible when you've got access to the right types of data and information, and you can analyze that and you can make informed decisions. And that's where we've got uh, the the advanced analytics functions that come through. And if you think about how over the past decade, the robotic process manufacturing that's come in where we put in automated technologies across the production line to improve the efficiencies and accuracy and consistency of all of our product development, then that produces a wealth of information in terms of throughput and and what we need where and when. And our ability to respond to that is all about being able to analyze that. So collecting that data, putting it in the right place, presenting it in order to help uh, executives make uh, informed decisions as to, as to how they pivot and move. So specifically, you've seen businesses adopt new technologies in order to stay effective. Can you mention for our listeners some of the, what some of those technologies are? We've, you mentioned robotics and sensors and how successful those technologies have been. Yeah, look, the, the new wave of physical Automation brings with it a lot of data, but a lot of uh, connected devices. There's now new technology in obviously the intelligent automation that allows you to set up software that can analyze what's going on, make informed decisions and learn from those decisions over time and make minor adjustments throughout the production line as you, as you move forward in producing particular products. And if you're thinking discrete manufacturing, there's 
there's some really good examples of product sets where if somebody's manufacturing a certain widget as it goes through and you've got a 10% loss because over time machines degrade and they and the and the minute variables that you have to deal with in terms of manufacturing something that goes into a larger cog when you're producing um, large-scale outputs, the minute differentials in, in those products as they go through the production line means there's a massive loss at the end. And there's examples of, of people that, of companies that are creating product sets that go into, say, engines, say, aircraft engines, for example. And if you're one little bolt that you create 100,000 of in, in a couple of weeks, and if you get 10% of that wrong and it all arrives at the customer and the customer can't make it fit into the engine when they pull it together, then that's just a loss of perception in the market. And and th- there are ways now of dealing with that. So if you if you think that you've got a design up front and traditionally you've had no way to check if that design is going to come out correct at the end until it comes out at the end, you run a traditional quality control procedure at the end and you throw 10% of your products away, changing that by a couple of percent would improve the bottom line for you uh, so significantly. So the products that are out there now allow you to assess that design at various points throughout the, the, the manufacturing process. So you take a 3D model of what you're producing and at various points throughout the, uh, the production cycle, it can be visually inspected by cameras to check that it is within tolerance levels before it gets through the production line too far. Mm. Do you, Kane? do you help clients review all those different things? It's a big part of, of what we do. What typically happens is we get a client come to us or we sit with a client that we really know very well and we identify the target area that's the problem. So the, in, in this particular case, um, having a problem statement that is something like, I have a problem with my supplier invoices because uh, 10% of them every month I'm delayed in, in payments and I'm getting significant uh, pushback from my suppliers. It's creating relationship problems and I really need a way to, to, to improve the accuracy of how I handle the, the, that invoice processing. Uh, I've got a team over here of 30 people that do this on a regular basis. They're totally overworked. They're working 10-hour days and pay very little just to go through and look at all these invoices. And so it's a, it's a problem statement like that where we then analyze the end-to-end process and, and look at, okay, where's, where's the real problem here? And the problem is on the inaccuracy of the data entry that's causing challenges further down the line. How successfully do you see Australian manufacturers adopting those sorts of sensors to, to gather that data? I think we're behind, if, if I'm honest. I, I, I think there's willingness to do so with a lot of these technologies, but I think we're behind in a lot of cases, the rest of the world. Uh, and I think these types of things are just arriving for us now. I think we've been slow to adopt. And so the success stories of, of making these things happen locally in the Australian market are few and far between. But I think the willingness to adopt is, is there now. And I think it's a conversation that we're, we're having now in a number of different places that uh, that I can see over the next 12 to 18 months this exponentially getting taken up. Yeah, so we, we sort of needed the, the crisis of the last few months to push us in that direction. It feels that way. It's like the work from home example, right? We all knew we could do it for the last few years, but we didn't. And once we were forced, we proved it could work. Same thing happens here. Certain things we had to do 
like Ryan mentioned, organizations changing uh, to produce something that was totally out of their wheelhouse for, uh, you know, like hand sanitizers being coming out of beer manufacturing production lines. You would never have thought of that. That agility and that need to respond has just proven so many examples for us that we can take advantage of, of these advancements and, and actually um, make something of it. And it's not just big business. What we don't already know intuitively, we know from numerous industry surveys, 2020 has accelerated small and medium-sized enterprises into adopting methods of advanced manufacturing at a rate far greater than we've seen before. We've seen some of these things that, that Kane's just been talking about, like automation, um, you know, some of the sensing technologies that are out there, uh, or the data, the importance of the data capability that that we touched on as well, go from basically a kind of a nice to have or, or something that was something that, that companies were thinking about to almost a need to have in order to survive in this this new environment that we're in now. And I think that's not going to change. I think that that trend's going to continue on. It was there pre-COVID. Um, you know, supply chains have become much more global. Um, as we know, speed to market now is is extremely critical. As we touched on earlier, consumer behaviours are changing almost daily, and they've been affected greatly by this pandemic. But in any case, there was a trend towards customer centricity, even pre-COVID, which has meant that a lot of manufacturers for some time now have had to to have much closer connections with their customers than they would have done in the past. You know, gone are the days where you're basically just manufacturing a widget and not tailoring it to a particular audience. Um, there's different levels of this, but many manufacturers now are pro- producing extremely bespoke goods for different markets, tailored to their customers, and, and they've got a, a good dialogue with some of those, ultimately some of the end consumers in many cases. And if it wasn't for some of the technologies that are available um, through Industry 4.0, you know, they, they wouldn't have been able to, to do that. So I suppose what I'd say is, COVID kind of demonstrated why we need to grow our advanced manufacturing sector. It's giving us the tools to compete on more of an international scale. Australia, as we know, is, you know, in the, in the scheme of things, is not a large country. However, with technology, you know, there's nothing that can't be achieved. You know, we, we have touched on this, that manufacturers are under um, a lot of pressure. They've There's the highly competitive global market and there's also the need to operate in a lean cost environment. So how can they get the most um, bang for their buck when it comes to investing in the digitisation of manufacturing? Advanced analytics is the biggest bang for buck on spend at the moment. There's information available. We've got connected devices but we're not using it effectively to make informed decisions. Back again to just-in-case ordering, how do you make the decision as what is the right amount of inventory stock that I need for um, uh, for the ongoing production to make sure that I don't have any downtime due to supply chain uh, failures and risks? And um, you can only do that, do that with access to information and running an advanced analytics platform across that provides you with real-time insights into where your production line is heading, where the where the slow pieces are, you know, process mining and that type of thing where you can look at very specifically where the delays are in your production line. Is it because you are lacking a specific product and you're waiting for hours on end to, for, for resupplies or something like that? Those types of examples, that's where the biggest bang for buck is. 
outside of that, it's really very much around, you know, there's there's no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to um, Industry 4.0. Um, we've got a term that we use at BDO called incrovation or iterative innovation, <laughs> which we've shortened to incrovation, which is sort of about the way that companies should approach adopting and adapting to Industry 4.0. Um, it's about taking small steps, testing things out in a safe environment, and then, you know, once you're sure that, you know, that particular step has worked, it's then scaling it up across the business. So as manufacturers look to gather all this data and digitise things, what are the steps that they should be taking to protect themselves against cyber risk? The cyber threat landscape is just ever-evolving, right? And we can't we can't ever be ahead of it, I, I don't believe. But this is all about recognising that it's there, recognising that it's not going to go away and preparing ourselves. There's any number of examples of people that haven't prepared themselves just got caught out. We heard a powerful statistic earlier. One in three Australian businesses would go on to pay the ransom of their ransomware attacks, upwards of $250 million last year alone. Though for something almost inescapable at this point, there are best practice examples of how to mitigate the risks. If we look at Lang's building supplies back in 2016, they, they were the target of a ransomware attack. Just through email phishing, uh, an employee accidentally or you know, unknowingly, unwittingly uh, opened the organisation up to um, a lot of their data being locked down. And typically in these environments, you need to negotiate, pay ransoms or have some other plan of attack. These guys had a plan of attack. They were prepared. They fully had a full backup of all of their data and operations. And they turned around uh, back to uptime in, in probably around about an hour, I think it was. And and that's a really good success story about being prepared, about understanding the threat exists and having a plan of action. So the best thing to do is not try and hide from it. Recognize it's there. Recognize it's going to continue to evolve. Have a refresh of your strategy in your uh, response plan. Being prepared. Maybe it's a backup. Maybe it's about having better prevention detection. Maybe it's about training ongoing training of your employees to make sure that they're fully aware of the latest threats. Everybody knows about phishing emails, but people still get caught by it. So if if we don't have a cyber strategy now, we need to get one. If we have one, we need to look at it again on an ongoing basis. We need to refresh it. Mm. Um, you mentioned how it's increased about five times in the last uh, little while. Was that just because of staff working from home? Were there other reasons that um, the cyber in- it increased so much? There has to be a number of things that play in this, I think. And, but, but clearly, uh, work from home is a really big part of it. And it's an opportunity for, for attacks. We saw, uh, simple attacks that, that probably didn't cause too much damage, but they're indicative of the changing environment. Zoom bombing. Now I'm sure everybody's heard of it, right? Where, uh, and it was fun when celebrities were doing it, jumping in on people's Zoom calls and, and, you know, having a bit of a joke. But it can be malicious in school environments where kids have been exposed to things that they shouldn't have been exposed to. It can happen in corporate environments. There are multitudes, thousands, hundreds of thousands of Zoom accounts that are just out there on the internet that have just been opened up and people can Zoom bomb in. Now, obviously, there's been a response to that. It's been shut down. But it's just a, a, an example of the changes 
that are in front of us and we're, we're dealing with on, on an ongoing basis. The use of email is just growing exponentially and continues to grow for sharing of information, whereas we didn't do this before, but it's now fairly open once it's out there. And that can, that can involve corporate sensitive information as well. So if that gets hacked, you're in strife. So there, there are a number of activities at play here. And I think it's, it's really just sometimes there's an enhancement of, of technology that we're not prepared for what the vulnerabilities might look like. It's also sometimes a little bit of a, a people relaxation. We get a little bit used to doing things in a certain way. We get relaxed and we're not as vigilant. Manufacturing has been a key part of the government's national response to COVID-19, from medical products through to supermarket supply demands. And with announcements around a new modern manufacturing strategy, it's clear that manufacturing will also play a key role in the National Economic Recovery Plan. But what impact will this new government plan actually have on manufacturers? Hmm. Yeah, look, it's um, certainly an exciting time to be in manufacturing right now. And the federal government, you know, did has recognised the role of manufacturing and its importance in, you know, driving our economy forward in a post-COVID environment um, through this uh, modern manufacturing strategy that was announced in the, the recent budget back in October. And what it's all about, I suppose, is that what they're trying to do is create the right conditions for industry growth. I guess, you know, to to make it as easy as possible for some of our most innovative uh, manufacturers out there to commercialize their products, bring them to market. You know, it's about, yes, providing funding through some of the grant programs that are available. There are some things in there around cutting energy costs. Um, you know, gas, for example, is about 20 or 40 percent, 20 to 40 percent of many industries. In addition, you know, there's some other levers that they've they've pulled around, you know, skills and training development. So there's the job maker plan, there's um, some funding for apprentices, etc., and deregulation. So the R and D tax incentive is extremely important for supporting innovation in this country. The strategy will focus on six national priorities, choosing areas with the strongest potential for international success. These include resource technology and critical minerals, food and beverages, medical products, recycling and clean energy, and defence and space. The money will be spread and spent over a number of years, with the strategy pouring around $1.5 billion into the sector, an amount Ryan suggests should not be underestimated. They're putting together detailed roadmaps for each of those subsectors around how the funding can be best spent. And they're doing that in consultation with, I guess, key experts in each of those fields. So it certainly seems that they're approaching it in the right way. I'm certainly very hopeful for what this will bring for the industry and a, a lot of other people out there that, that I talk to. A lot of clients are very excited about this initiative. As manufacturers look to maintain resilience and sustainability, what are the key indicators that manufacturers need to be aware of or be monitoring for to prevent value loss or minimise risk? In terms of some of the top risk indicators that we look out for, supplier production levels and lead times. Um, so we've touched on the importance of the supply chain and having a good 
link to your suppliers and a good understanding of lead times, et cetera. And some of the technology developments that we've touched on in terms of analytics, et cetera, have helped with that. Uh, in addition, other risk indicators would include things like changes in time to receive accounts receivables. There's been a lot of variability around that, obviously, during COVID, depending on the individual situations of, of certain customers. Uh, equipment maintenance time um, and occurrences and the time between maintenance, again, um, something to be extremely mindful of. Um, and again, um, some of the, the smart sensing technologies that are out there uh, for bigger companies, you know, those have worked well in terms of, you know, using some of those sensors for predictive maintenance, et cetera. That's been a positive step. So we've touched on another risk factor would be the transport delays and costs um, that we mentioned earlier. Obviously, that's been a significant impact. Variations in quality control, stock inventory levels and turnover, you know, just in case ordering that's become more apparent in terms of stock levels. And it's very important to not, even in this environment, to not overorder because an investment in stock is a, still a significant investment in working capital. And then finally, I'd say um, other risk factors have been around that changes to demand and purchasing behavior of customers, um, you know, the different buying patterns that we're seeing out there. And, and I think that's something that will continue to change. Looking to the future, what do you think will be the top supply or value chain challenges and opportunities for Australian manufacturers in the next 12 months? If we want to be more efficient, we want to make sure we've got the right, the right answers, so we're making the right decisions, we're progressing in the right direction. We need to be open and integrate across the entire value chain. And so that obviously brings with it some risks. We, we want to do that for greater efficiencies, but as we've said a number of times, cyber is a major challenge to us uh, as we as we move into this more open data model and uh, protecting against that, preparing for that, recognizing having having plans to respond so that you can maintain agility without being strict control. In terms of challenges as well, there is a. Over the years, um, talent, attracting talent into the manufacturing industry has actually been a, a key issue. There's been a, there's an aging manufacturing workforce and, and a loss of key skills over the years. So that's something that the job maker and job trainer plans have, have sought to, um, to help rectify. And we are seeing more new talent and an upskilling of talent coming into the industry. Um, but you know, as we move towards advanced manufacturing, it's, um, you know, it's a fallacy to say that that technology is there and it's going to replace all the all the workers, that's actually not the case at all. You actually just need a different type of worker than you did before. You need a, a lot more intelligence in terms of, you know, utilising some of this technology and an ability to adapt. So, you know, getting some smart minds and bringing them into some of our manufacturing firms is a, is a big challenge, um, but one that I think, you know, we need to be mindful of. There's also a, a huge drive as um, I'm sure you've seen around, um, you know, emissions, environmental impact, uh, sustainability in the secular economy. Um, so, you know, how do we, you know, recycle things well in this country? How do we use the waste that's produced through the manufacturing process, um, you know, and, and turn that into something that, that's renewable? That's a real key focus going forward. And there's a lot of smart people out there, such as, um, 
the Smart Centre at the, the University of New South Wales and Professor Vina there, who's who's focused on, you know, really bringing that to the fore in terms of what we're doing in, in the recycling side of things. As we open up, challenges, of course, don't start and stop at home. With borderless markets, free trade agreements will also play a key role in defining the Industry 4.0 landscape for Australian manufacturers. You know, we would have seen a lot in the press recently around trade trade disputes, particularly obviously with China at this point in time. So, you know, it goes without saying, you know, it's a bit of a moving feast, the international landscape at the moment. A knowledge of international markets, particularly when we're trying to export, is going to be key. On the ground support, things like, you know, working through free trade agreements, etc., is really important. What final takeaway can manufacturers take from this to prepare for, for the unknown? It's about taking stock of where where you are, where your key challenges lie. And it's as we said, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It, it will depend on you know, the strategy that you've got. You know, how focused are you on an export strategy? How important is it to increase the complexity of the manufactured products that you're producing to move up the value chain? And therefore, what what things should you be thinking about? Um, do you need a, an export strategy for your business? Do you need to conduct a supply chain risk assessment um, in order to understand where your critical risk factors lie? Do you need to come up with an industry 4.0 plan around you know that incubation term that we touched on earlier? You know um, which elements are most important for you as a business? So it's it's about starting off with an assessment of where you are and, and building up and scaling up from there. And it, as I said earlier, it's it's probably a really you know it's a, well it is a very exciting time to be in manufacturing in this country. You know as we said. Manufacturing's recently gained, you know, more insight, more interest than has probably been the case for a number of years. So the time's right for Australian manufacturers to move forward, take advantage of the interest that we're getting locally and internationally, take advantage of some of the funding that's out there now and, and will be out there across the next five years and really get involved in, in helping to move the industry forward and working together to achieve you know, something really positive. Yeah, I like I like Ryan's point on attracting and retaining talent. Uh, I, I'd like to I'd like to just add slightly to that as, as well. In that, uh, it, it's a good point that now's the time to take advantage of the renewed interest in manufacturing in Australia, and attracting and retaining the right talent is a really big part of that. And I think you know being being resilient as an organisation doesn't come down to to just one piece of technology or one particular strategy. I think it's an organizational culture. The people that do it right have the right people in decision-making places. They have, uh, they, they trust their, their employees because they are capable to make decisions, to be informed with the right information and to make uh, good strategic investment decisions. And if we, and if we have the information available, we have the right people, we're retaining the right people, and we're trusting them and we're creating an organisational culture of innovation, it's the right time to take advantage of, of that momentum. Thank you to our expert guests, Kane Stevens and Ryan Pollitz. You're listening to In Business with BDO. Remember to subscribe and rate this podcast in your favourite podcast app and send us your comments and questions to podcast at bdo.com.au. 
I've been Jennifer Mary, and we'll see you next time when we explore another topic essential to the way we do business and live our modern lives. <laughs>